I have a guest with me today who has such a fascinating uh, story and an initiative that he's involved in. Um, we've done some training together in the past, and uh, I retired from law enforcement, and Captain Spiegel, you just kept going upward. And uh, so I'm really excited for people to hear from you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Betsy. So, Mark, you are, um, first of all, you're a CPA, you're a numbers guy, yep. and, uh, but you are also uh, a police captain on a volunteer basis. And right now in your state, police reform, as we're seeing in many other states, is actually wreaking havoc with volunteer policing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, you know, the police reform bill in Massachusetts was passed in uh, December, the end of the December 31st, 2020, uh, went into effect July 1st, 2021. And those of us who had done the training to what the municipal police training committee determined reserve police officers needed were grandfathered at that time on July 1st, 2021 with the caveat that the MPTC would come up with the additional training needed. That was the way it was put in the law, additional training needed for us to recertify in either one, two or three years, depending on our last names. So the MPTC came up with 220 hours of training, which was basically the gaps between the reserve academy and the full-time academy. And the training that they determined we need is fine. All, all reserve officers and auxiliary officers in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts who I have spoken with have no problem with the training at all. Our problem comes in with uh, a lot of hurdles and caveats that the Municipal Police Training Committee, or, or as we call it, the MPTC, has put in place which makes it virtually impossible for us to be able to recertify. Now, the, and the MPTC, for everyone uh, who might not know, every state has a governing body of police training and standards. And, you know, the way that American law enforcement works, of course, is it's a very decentralized situation. And each state gets to make its own rules. And in your state, in Massachusetts, um, you have very stringent training requirements. You know, it's a it's a uh, extremely professional uh, situation throughout the state. So so here you are, um, you guys, and I'm gonna I want to talk a little bit about how you got involved in this. But you and your organization, as volunteer part time police officers, when so many other police officers are fleeing the profession. You are trying to stay in the profession and follow the guidelines of your state, but in the name uh, of police reform, the state is, is making it increasingly difficult. And it appears to me when I do my research for no real good reason. Is, is that about to say it all? Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that we can come up with that we could determine why this is being done. Uh, other than as we see it as implicit bias by those on the, the committee who have the vote for what it should be. 
And that's the way we see it. Again, we have no problem with the training. We were trained to the very standards that they set in place up through the police reform bill. And all we want is the opportunity to continue our training and to complete the 220 hours of training. Uh, but the the uh, hurdles that they're putting in place are making it impossible. Uh, with the first one, very first one being that the online train, uh, there's online training, no problem. There's about 100 hours of online training. And then there's about 120 hours of in-person training uh, between, uh, split between EVOC, EVOC, firearms, and defensive tactics. And that is being made available during the daytime working business hours. And also the tests are being made available during the daytime business hours. So a volunteer or part-time officer in Massachusetts that wants to continue and be certified would have to take between three and four weeks of vacation time in order to do it. Which again, that anybody who has been involved in reserve police training knows that reserve police training takes place nights and weekends. That's just the way it is. And in Massachusetts, up until this point, all reserve police training has been nights and weekends. And that is why we have reserve and auxiliary officers. If right. it was and, all daytime and, training, it wouldn't have happened. Right. And I want people to understand that are listening to this, that a lot of uh, full-time police officers do the vast majority of their training now online. That has been the trend for quite some time in law enforcement. Most of our training, except for EVOC, which is driving, the actual physical driving, and firearms, actual physical mm -hmm. firearms and tactical training, um, you know, that has to happen in a, a classroom or on the track or in the range. But most everything else, including the testing, um, you know, written tests, can be done online. I mean, that's that's the way things have worked for a long time. So they're not doing anything special for you guys as far as online training, but what they are doing is making it more difficult for people who want to be well-trained auxiliary police officers to do the training and the testing. I was involved in our auxiliary training in my state of Illinois many, many years ago, and we did everything in the evenings and during the day on the weekend so that right. our brave volunteers who stood next to us and worked all kinds of crime scenes and special events and things like that so that they had the same training that we did they just took it at a different time that's exactly what you guys do right absolutely up until this point that's the way it's been so i gotta go back mark because i think the my viewers are looking at you going now wait a minute why is this guy trying so hard to be a volunteer police officer when uh, so many police officers, especially in urban areas, are fleeing the profession. How did you get involved? I mean, you're a well-educated guy. You have a terrific job. You're I know you, you're a real smart guy. Um, how'd you get involved in law enforcement in the first place? So my involvement started way back in the early 70s. I believe it was 1972 with the Newton, Massachusetts Police Explorer Post. And that was how I got involved. And as you know, once it's in your blood, it's hard to move on. 
uh, you know, after uh, high school, I went to college, uh, you know, became a, uh, an accountant, uh, became a CPA, and started a career in that direction. And every time I looked into getting into law enforcement, and I took the exams, and then the reality came to me, you know, I was raising a family, had a home, had a mortgage, and the, uh, the haircut that I would take and my salary, just, it, I just couldn't make it work. But I did keep my interest involved through volunteering and have been since I graduated college. So I've been a police volunteer for 42 years at this point. And one of the things that, that I know you have a passion for is continually professionalizing the auxiliary policing, not just in your area, but nationwide. And, and to that end, you helped found the Volunteer Law Enforcement Officer Alliance. Talk about that organization. The Volunteer Law Enforcement Officer Alliance came into being in uh, 2009. Uh, a group of us who met at uh, certain uh, other volunteer uh, conventions and, and uh, conferences uh, you know, determined that we needed to do it in a different way than it was being done. We wanted to do it correctly. We wanted to do it for the right reasons. And we started this organization in 2009 uh, that has become the premier volunteer law enforcement officer, you know, reserved, auxiliary, special, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, we have members from around the world and you know what we have found is that through this networking we try to get together once a year in a conference setting and we network and the networking that we do is fantastic and besides the networking we do amazing training at these events uh, they're hosted by premier law enforcement organizations in the country uh, in a in a few weeks we're going to be uh, in phoenix uh, the Phoenix Police Department, the Phoenix Police Reserves are hosting our conference uh, this year, and we're really excited to make it out west. A lot of our conferences have been on the East Coast, and we're trying to uh, meet new new friends in, in the western part of the country. Well, I'll, I'm going to say welcome when you come here to the west. It's an yeah. amazing place. And we have, an ama we have amazing volunteer police officers. And, and that's what I want to point out. This, I don't know if everyone is aware of the numbers involved in volunteer policing and the impact that those police officers have. I know on my own agency, we couldn't have done so many of the things we did, including special events, you know, large scale special events, um, emergency situations without our volunteer brothers and sisters. Talk about that. Talk about the impact. Yeah, and that, that's where we really shine. And, and in, in my community in Framingham, Massachusetts, we take care of all of the charitable events that happen in the community. And without us, honestly, and we've talked about it, you couldn't pay people to do it. They don't want to do that kind of work. And you know, we come out on the weekends when, again, nobody else wants to work on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and help that charitable event. We did one last week for the United Way, a 5K race. And you know, we had, I believe there were six volunteer officers working that day to make that event happen safely. 
know, in conjunction with our, our department. And, but, but we take care of in our community about 40 events a year and also large scale events like you know, a few weeks ago, we had the uh, Boston Marathon goes through our community. And you know, there were 10 out of our you know, 15 auxiliary officers were able to take time off that day, take a vacation day and work the Boston Marathon. Okay, that meant that 10 less full-time officers got forced to work that day because many got forced to work that day, but we were able to help out. And that, that's what we do. We augment, we help, we don't replace at all. We were supportive. On Friday and Saturday nights, we have patro patrols out where we just, we help out. If there's nothing going on, we're checking the town-owned buildings and if there's something that happens in our community that needs a response, we're able to pick up some of the pieces that aren't the important ones. So at a traffic accident, for exa an example, we can do the traffic that frees up two officers to be available for calls for service in the community. So those are some of the things that we can do, that we do. Right, and at a time in the United States right now where homicides are up 30%, um, nationwide, in uh, in many 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 urban areas, uh, violent crime is on the rise, and again we have a shortage of police officers in this country. And you guys are trying to supplement that. Yeah. Now yeah. you've been you've been involved in some in pretty interesting stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> talk about maybe a couple of the I, the highlights or the most I, interesting I, things you've been involved I, in. So I, I guess the, the highlight of my career has to be when uh, President Clinton came to Framingham. To be part of a presidential protection detail was really pretty cool. It, it really was. And, uh, you know, got the, the phone call, you know, that the president's coming to town, you're willing to help out. It's like, wow, are you, you kidding me? So I think at the high, you know, the highest highlight had to be that supporting that presidential visit and we were part of the security detail we were shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters and we were just part of the protection team uh, that's probably the number one highlight uh, uh, in my in, during the summer for the past seven summers i've worked for the wellfleet police department and uh you know i think my highlight in wellfleet was probably the day the shark washed up on shore <laughs> so wow know, it was, uh, you know, a great white got caught up in the tide and, uh, you know, ended up getting beached. So that was probably the uh, the coolest thing, if you will, uh, dur during the summertime. That's that's so. awesome. And and I, I want to emphasize, and I want you to talk about the training that you have gone through and you and, you know, the, the people that you work with. As a volunteer, this isn't, you know, an eight-hour class on here's the keys to a squad car, here's how you shoot a gun. You you go through the, serious police training, don't you? Yeah. So the 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 reserve academy that existed in Massachusetts before police reform was 428 hours. Now that has risen over the years, but but as it currently sits was 428 hours. And the 428 hours were the same exact modules of study that the full-time officers got in the academy. It was just that we got it nights and weekends and we didn't get all the modules. So 
same training for what was determined a reserve officer needed up through that point in time. So we have that training. We also you know, do our in-service training and the in-service training is the exact same in-service training that a full-time officer completes every year. There's no difference. We're, we're doing the same, you know, the state dictates what modules of training we need. And we have instructors come in that are certified by the state to give this particular material. And that's what we do. I mean, last year was all online due to COVID, but you know, up until that time, we would, we would have a regional in-service with other volunteers from our region. And uh, we had our in-service training every Monday night in January, February, and into March so that we could complete the same training, the same in-service training. And so now with this new legislation, there, there's, you've got the police academy and then the reserve academy and then the bridge academy well yeah so so the reserve academy does not exist anymore anybody who wants to come into the profession to be a volunteer will need a full-time academy and in the we're going to try to advocate to make that in a manner that can be taken by reserves right now the issue we're dealing with is the grandfathering of those that are currently reserves and in seeing how we're being treated yeah, that's going to be an uphill battle to get us grandfathered in properly, allow us to do the training. And then there's going to be another battle in order to make the training available for reserves in the future. And, and we look at the California model of reserve policing as being the gold standard, where they take a full-time academy, they break it into three, three modules, and depending on which module you've completed, legislatively, there are certain things you can perform. And, and we look at that as the gold standard model, and we will be pushing for that as well once we get through this hurdle that we're dealing with today. So all you're trying to do is continue on serving with the, the cadre. How big is, is the volunteer police force, if you will, in Massachusetts? How many um, already certified police officers are yeah. we talking about? So as far as the Massachusetts is, the way that things have been done, it's a very strange state. I'll, I'll start with that. But it's what we're talking about is both paid part-time reserve officers and volunteer officers. And collectively, we're talking about 3,000 people. So that's basically the, the size. And you know, where I describe to you what we do in, in my community in Framingham, which is a larger community, and, and we really, we help out, we augment. But in the Western part of the state where there are small communities, some of them are actually all part-time from the chief on down, okay? So in our smaller rural communities, we're actually talking about impacting delivery of police service, not delivery of the nice things. Uh, so it's really serious out in the western part of the state where our state police will have to respond to calls or they'll have to regionalize. And, you know, there aren't enough troopers, as we all know. I mean, I believe the Mass State Police right now is down about 1,000 troopers. They put a class of 168 graduated yesterday. But all in all, they're shorthanded, okay? 
So when the domestic call comes in in this small town in rural Massachusetts and it takes an hour for a response, there's going to be, it, it's not going to be good. I, I'll just say it's not going to be good. And right. And that's what I want people to understand that, that, you know, and when we all think of, of um, an American police department, we think of, you know, uh, Boston, we think of NYPD, we think of Chicago, we think of LA, but actually most police departments in the United States are less than 10 officers. So exactly right. what you're talking about in a rural area where the state police or the county sheriff are going to take a long time to yeah. respond. You're you're talking about actually uh, legislatively stripping small towns of almost their entire police department, right? Or or, or their entire police department. I talked to one individual uh, in a small town, you know, out west. I said, well, you know, how many full time officers and how many reserve officers? And he said, there are two full-time officers, the chief and the sergeant, and there are 10 reserve officers. That's how they deliver service in that community. Mark, yeah. where can people go to find out more information about you, what you're doing, and about this situation? Well, I think one place to find out about reserve policing would be the Volunteer Law Enforcement Officer Alliance. And our site is www policereserve.org. Uh, as far as uh, the situation in Massachusetts, uh, we have a page uh, for the Massachusetts Volunteer Law Enforcement Officer Association, and that's www.maveleoa.org. Fascinating situation. Thanks for what you're doing. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.